you need to be so deep in this understanding and really in touch with what it is that you're solving, who you're helping, and put yourself in their shoes. That is how to win. Obviously, incredibly important to pick the right tools, to find the right ways to buy yourself back time. But ultimately, if you don't understand the problem and you don't understand who you're trying to help and how you can help them, the best code in the world is going nowhere. So my name is Erin Karam, Chief Technology Officer and Head of Product at Prepared Health. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Aaron Karam enabled the real-time info exchange between the hospitals and home health care providers. All this and more on Code Story. Aaron Karam was a kid interested in everything. She played music, she was into sports, and into computers and programming. She continues to have well-rounded interests today running marathons, coaching her kids' sports teams, and teaching them how to play music. Being from a healthcare family, she was always looking for purpose and doing a job that meant something. And five years ago, she jumped on board to build Prepared Health after latching on to the story and vision of the company. She set out to positively impact the world by enabling the real-time exchange of information between healthcare providers and home health professionals. Prepared Health really started to take form about this time five years ago. We are a platform for healthcare providers. We help all healthcare providers. So whether you are a hospital, a health plan who's in charge of making sure that we have what we need, a skilled nursing facility, where you might land as a step down outside of the hospital for additional care, a home health agency who comes into the home and delivers clinical care, or even down to the you know, non-medical. So if you're talking about DME, who delivers equipment for you to make sure that you have the oxygen tank you need when you come out of the hospital, the personal care aide who might come in and wash your dishes when you're laid up, you know, hospice, palliative care, all of these sorts of providers. There's an entire care continuum that exists outside of the hospital. You and I think of healthcare, our primary doctor and the hospital. Those are probably the two touch points that young, healthy people have on a regular basis. But as we age, and for those of us who need additional help and additional care, this ecosystem is incredibly important to helping us stay healthy and at home, and particularly for seniors, keep them out of the hospital. We connect these providers in the care continuum and give them the tools they need to provide you the best care. So whether it's real-time communication and chat, tools around helping connect people and transition safely from hospital to home, and then tools for actively case managing your more at-risk chronic population. So in terms of you know, assembling this care continuum of healthcare providers, both acute, post-acute, home-based providers, that's where we focus. And we really look to bring together and connect and be the fabric between these providers and provide the right insights, the right information to the right person at the right time. And that's our entire goal. 
Tell me about the MVP. Tell me about building the first piece of technology, the first solution. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to build it? So the MVP still lives today in our current product. And that's something that is something I'm I'm proud of and it's also a little scary, right? <laughs> sure. Knowing this big vision that I was working with you know, Ashish and David on trying to implement and execute their vision in this technology platform. I, you know, I knew from the get-go that we needed to be prepared for scale. I felt really comfortable. Um, I had good, strong experience already working in the cloud, understanding how to build scalable solutions, understanding, you know, how to pick a data store and, and select our, you know, our real-time platform and have horizontally scaling applications, right? So the cloud makes this much easier than it used to be. From an infrastructure, from an architecture standpoint, you know, we had selected Google Cloud primarily as, as our cloud platform, mostly because they were less expensive. It was pretty rough about four years ago when this was coming together because Google's, you know, the cloud console was not as sophisticated and user-friendly as it is today. But they were they were less expensive and their tools, they met the need, right? So we leveraged oh, an MVP a new feature set to test out with a sales prospect, that is a brilliant way to run. Now, in terms of our hardened production code, uh, you know, you need to be careful because Firebase kind of breaks a few rules that over the last two decades, we ha had become pretty industry norm around separation of concern and modularity and, and data flow. And so if you're not careful, that can get messy quickly. But in terms of the MVP, you know, we pretty much have that still baked into our product today and we will pick pieces off that you know perhaps need a little facelift and go ahead and, and put some love into them from time to time when you're building the mvp in the early days what sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term and how'd you cope with those the funny thing about the early days was that it's really really dangerous to be a, a one-person team Obviously, we had a few people on the team, but I was left to my own devices quite a bit. And even though I'm fully aware of all of the best practices and all of the approaches, we still have last second demos, last second tweak this, tweak that. And that gets dangerous without a lot of check and balance. That's what a great team gives you, right? Are those checks and balances to keep you in line and make sure that we're reinforcing priorities? But in the very, very early days when it's your CEO, you know, your co-founder and you in a room and you're just trying to crank things out, you can make some pretty lousy choices, right? So I, one of the biggest decisions I think that we had to make was how to keep a very lean staff and really work within our means. That's a pretty big trade-off in terms of having so much pressure on our very small team to be delivering. So, but we focused really hard on finding the right people to pull in so that we could keep our burn low and really work to shape the MVP. But that inherently makes it really difficult when we have such a large platform vision to, to figure out where to focus and spend our time on. Those, all of those key decisions around every moment that we're spending our time on becomes amplified in a much larger way. In those trade-offs, you know, it, bringing on a junior, not bringing on an experienced senior right away, 
that's something that I would definitely reconsider looking at a next, you know, if, if I were to do this in the future, it takes a lot out of you and you never feel like you're giving enough if it's just you and a junior versus if, you know, potentially I think if had brought on maybe a stronger partner in crime up front, um, there would have been maybe a little higher productivity, like a little stronger investment um, with the initial few years in the product, if that makes sense. How has the product progressed? How have you matured the product? So from an engineering perspective, we have, you know, been maniacs about keeping our team small and nimble and focused and really driving and adding value. We are extremely focused on making sure that we understand our customers, making sure that our engineers are getting in the field. We're really committed to kind of rounding out whole product engineers. The small, nimble aspect, what's been really helpful in facilitating that is just being really focused on having having DevOps, having continuous integration, having t- continuous testing um, and continuous delivery, having a you know top grade monitoring alerting system where we know what is going on at all times. We have a few neat features actually that we built in Slack. We kind of were birthed at the same time that Slack had come about. And so we launched the company on Slack um, and it was first started through Slack. Actually, we have from the very beginning, just these great inter- uh, integrations, which bring in our network operations center and what we call Pulse. Creating a truly professional sounding podcast used to require expensive software, twisting confusing knobs and waiting for long exports in the hopes that your podcast episodes would sound good enough before doing it all over again the next week. That's why I use clipgain.io for code story. Podcast creators like me choose Clipgain over complicated plugins because I can take the guesswork out of post-production. Consistently sound amazing every week and rest assured knowing you will enjoy a wonderful listening experience. I don't know how many times I found myself unhappy with the quality of my recordings, the polish of a clip or the levels of a recording. Using Clipgain, I no longer have to worry about how many knobs to turn, levels to set or filters to use. It just works. Make your podcast sound loud, clear, and clean and only one click with clipgain.io. That's C-L-I-P-G-A-I-N dot I-O. So Pulse is like a part of our culture. It is a Slack channel that gives us a window into our open platform, what users are doing at any given moment. We have kind of a running feed that says, you know, so-and-so was able to post a referral. This is happening. This is happening. And so, and if we're interested in understanding a little bit more about when and how our users are working, there's that constant reminder and constant information that we can go and reference, you know, outside of um, digging into production. And then our network operations center. So having tooling and instrumentation in place so that we know when a user's having a problem that we might be able to predict and get ahead of that problem and then having the the tools in place to trend and to act on those right away has allowed our team to, you know, continue to really harden and take that MVP and bring it into that production-worthy enterprise healthcare IT solution. What were you using for that internal tooling instrumentation? So I mentioned before we were on Google. So we use the, the stack driver and the stack monitoring there, as well as we're in all JavaScript shop. So we have some uh, a JavaScript tool called Sentry.io that helps us bring in real-time errors from our, our clients, our web client, and our mobile clients. 
So combining those together, we are able to kind of centralize it in one place. Tell me how you build your roadmap. How do you and the team figure out what's most important to build next? You know, I mentioned before about wanting to connect providers and wanting to be that fabric amongst these providers, provide these healthcare collaboration tools, keeping people happy and healthy at home. In the end, we want to turn this on its side and open this up to consumer and help you self-direct your own care. It only continues to get bigger and to grow and grow. So it's really challenging being a small company like we are in the healthcare enterprise technology space. Because your first company, your first customer who's willing to pay you a bunch of money can easily lead you astray. So luckily, you know, we've had fantastic partners in this space. Bay Auto Home Healthcare, our very first customer, who's been incredibly respectful to our vision, our roadmap, you know, but also a fantastic partner in terms of helping us really hone in on executing our vision and solving and helping them solve their problems. So in terms of our our roadmap, we have our three to five year vision. We know where we're headed. We have our 12 month vision, right? So we know what the immediate concerns are. And then we have this mixture of push and pulls that I think are natural in enterprise technology from our customers. And we have to deal with changing legislation, right? The discharge planning rule just got announced. It's gonna come into effect November 24th. The legislation being able to turn on a dime and, and help say, hey, I can get you compliant with this. Guess what? Our tool already plugs nine out of 10 of these holes. Now let's run, kick this two week sprint off and plug that 10th hole so that we can go and make sure that our customers are, are going to be fully compliant. That's something that, that we're going to just always need to be on top of and strategically ready to consume and churn out in the market. Just by the nature of you know our obligations to our, to our enterprise customers. Another great example is we'd love to take this new health system live. And we have an integration we're gonna put in place for them. But it turns out the integration isn't quite exactly gonna, you know, it's like square peg round hole type of thing. We might need to pivot and create something to make sure that this particular customer is successful. That's not that uncommon. But typically what what we'll have is, you know, our main product engineering team continuing to focus in this space. We have kind of a separate DevOps and integration team, and then a data science team as well. So we're able to kind of juggle the different customer priorities amongst these teams. Our product engineers are fantastic. They're really mission-driven, and they are excited to be working on something that is so meaningful. That being said, they're still engineers. They still don't want to be interrupted, and they still don't want, you know, major change coming on a dime tomorrow, taking them away from the sprint, you know, that, that they have planned and had had in their mind. And so I'm, I always try and be really mindful of this. And when we're talking about shifting priorities and we're talking about being agile and, and jumping up, you know, on a dime, I do my best to really bring the right context and the right business drivers and have the right type of conversation where we're, we're really coming down to like the why, why is this so important? Why did this have to change? which is really critical in in trying to make sure that everyone is aligned and happy and feeling good. How have you built this to scale or is it something you're fighting on a regular basis? In terms of um, our application itself, we have a backend that's built on Google Cloud, Google App Engine. 
What's great about that is that we can automatically have that scaling based on load. So we have that REST API against the front end. And then our back end, we use actually a Cosmos store that allows us to horizontally scale based on shard in the Azure cloud. Between these two things, that gives our core functional application the scaling we need to be able to have a comfort level that we're going to be able to handle any type of load that comes on the front end side. In terms of our infrastructure scaling for our additional teams, that's where I'm actually pretty proud of the work we've been doing in the last year or so. We've really started to mature on the data ingestion and data science aspects of our work. Whereas before, uh, you know, let's be clear, it's probably me in a room trying to do some intense brute force analysis and coming up with a basic rule set and calling it data science, which was, you know, not, not great, but you know, it got the job done. But you know, a few years ago, we were lucky enough to, to hire a fantastic PhD. We'd been working in the data science space for, for a number of years. And, um, and so now he owns this whole data science team. And what we've been working on is, you know, kind of making sure that we have the separation of domains and the scalable interfaces between these three teams so that they can really really run. As our data ingestion needs start to grow, we actually have a fantastic engineer that came from Uptake who, you know, helped from a firefighting perspective Uptake as they scaled and grew their entire data ingestion platform. And so he's got fantastic experience there, bringing that back to our system and helping architect at scale. We're actually using Kinesis to come in. We have multiple different partition logs there that support each of our client ingestions. We have those coming into um, multiple syncs that eventually flow into the product. And the product itself has not only the, the data store that's, that I described earlier, but also we have like an event-driven architecture that helps us scale for all of our asynchronous work. So not only do we have that scalable REST layer, but we have this scalable set of servers that are crunching on our asynchronous data requests, like our emails, our notifications, and all of those items. And then for the data science team, we we actually are in the middle of launching the decouple of the entire data science platform. These are the fun problems to solve. And the team really has been enjoying seeing this vision come into fruition. Let me flip the script a little bit. What was a mistake that you and the team made and how did your team respond to it? You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made is kind of shouldering a lot of some of the technical burden from an infrastructure security standpoint, from a data science standpoint. I was really working hard to keep my product engineers in this bubble where they could just be like operating full clip, delivering, turning out feature after feature after feature. And so I thought I was doing this great thing, giving them this opportunity to really shine and push our roadmap forward and do all these really cool things. And in the meantime, I was suffering. I was, I was kind of still managing our infrastructure, still managing our security, still managing our data science. What kind of happened was I realized that after quite a while, I wasn't actually doing anybody any favors. So we started growing out this ask, these areas of, the, of our, our product team because I obviously needed the help. So we, we hired this fantastic data scientist, we hired this fantastic production engineer, and they started to help shoulder some of these responsibilities. But they were, we were still separate. We were still 
maybe not fully integrated into the rest of the team and kind of still kind of on the side as a side project, shouldering these responsibilities. What I've learned is that sharing this burden and socializing these tasks and, and these huge things that we're doing and pushing the ownership back, you know, on our engineering manager and on our product manager to have more responsibility, ownership, and understanding of some of these more technical activities has really helped change our team. Everyone has been, you know, feeling a little bit more connected and, and growing from a, from a development standpoint, from a personal standpoint. And I, and I think I, looking back, I should have done this a lot sooner. So what does the future look like for your product and your team? The rails are starting to shake, which is amazing. We're four and a half years in and we can't keep up. Our integration team is overloaded. Our product team is not able to, to keep up the pace. Our sales support team is struggling. And I think, you know, we are, we're ready. This next year, 2020, is going to be an enormous year for us. Um, I think we are going to grow in huge ways. I think, you know, we're looking at new channel partnerships, large strategic technical partnerships with different EMRs that are really going to push us really fast. And so we're, 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 you know, we're hiring, we're looking to build the team. And I don't think our team's going to look like, definitely won't look like what it looks like right now in a year from now. Who influences you, Aaron? Name an architect or a CTO or, or it doesn't even have to be a tech person, but who influences you and influences the way that you work? Megan Smith, who's CTO under Obama. Few reasons why I, I value and follow her closely. You know, one, she's a huge advocate for diversity and inclusion, which is extremely important to me. Um, she's a huge advocate for women in tech, something that is near and dear to my heart. I love how she embraces and speaks to both of these every chance she gets. Uh, not to mention she is an avid Star Trek fan and you know, I spent a lot of my youth watching Star Trek, The Next Generation. Well, there's something fantastic in Star Trek, right? It's this like utopian view where we are specifically in the next generation, right? Where everyone is their, their best self. So if you could go back to the beginning of Prepared Health, what would you do differently or what would you consider taking a different approach on? People. With startup, having the right people is the most important decision. Having the right skill sets, um, you know, what do they always say? Uh, hire, slow, fire, fast. Finding these cultural fits as smart ads to your team who are going to buy you back time and help your company run, who are so aligned that you're able to act as one. It's so incredibly valuable to a small company. And, and don't get me, I, I want to be very clear about when I'm talking about culture. Because culture can mean a lot of different things to different people. In fact, I know people who shy away, they don't even want to use the word culture. They choose to say values, right? Because, you know, I've, I've been in environments where it's very clear that culture means uh, somebody you want to go grab a beer with, hang out after work with. Do they meet this culture? No, that's not, that's not how we view culture. Do you connect? Are you, are you bought into this mission? Are you a curious person who wants to master their craft? Are you 
in this to help our team be the best team we can be? Are you going to jump in and pick up any task? Are you going to coach your peers and give feedback when it's tough? Are you, you know, competitive and a little self-driven? You know, I, I think one way that we've talked about our, our team in the past is scrappy. Finding these key people who are aligned with us in these ways is so incredibly important. And if you don't have this, you're burning time, you're wasting time, it's, it's wrong, and you need to make a change. And so that's where, um, in terms of looking back, we've done, I think we've done a really good job at crafting this diversity and culture within our company. But you know, when it's not a fit, making that decision really quickly would have, I think, saved us a lot of heartache in the past. When it's not a match, it's really difficult, especially when you're rooting for this person and you want this person to succeed so badly. You know, with our leadership team specifically, I, we're optimists. You have to be in this game. We want, this is gonna work. We're excited, we can coach you there. And you know, the bottom line is in a startup that's, you're not gonna be able to, to bridge gaps that big. And so that, that's tough coming, I think, from a leadership team who happens to be this very optimistic, excited group to be able to kind of stomach this. Oh, you know what? Even though we like this person, it feels good. It's just not, it's not the right fit. And being able to, to make that really tough decision early is critical. You're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur just built their new digital solution, their SaaS platform or whatever it may be. And they just want to, they're excited about it. They just want to show you and they're going to go change the world. Being someone that's, that's a little bit further down this road and had some success, what advice would you give that person? Knowing inside and out what you're trying to solve. What are you trying to do? Who are you trying to help? You need to be so deep in this understanding and really in touch with what it is that you're solving, who you're helping, and put yourself in their shoes. If you're gonna be successful, that is how to win. From a, from a technology standpoint, from a scalability standpoint, obviously incredibly important to pick the right tools, to find the right ways to buy yourself back time. But ultimately, if you don't understand the problem, and you don't understand who you're trying to help and how you can help them, the best code in the world is going nowhere. That's great advice. I, I love I love that advice. Well, Aaron, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Prepared Health. Thank you for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Season two episodes are co-produced and edited by Bradley Denham. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.